0: Welcome back. I'm glad to have you all here today as we tackle uh, week number three of our Devoted series. We are uh, continuing continuing on here, and our guiding text for the series has been Acts 2, verse 42, where we learn that the early church was devoted to four specific practices of faith, and that was teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread or communion, and prayer. And we've already worked through teaching and fellowship, and today we'll be looking at the practice of breaking bread, also known as communion, and see how the early church was devoted to that, and how we also too can be devoted to it as well. And if you like eating and hosting or sharing meals with others, then this is the practice for you. You enjoy this type of thing. In fact, since all of us... Here, generally, eat a few meals every day. This could be the most accessible and enjoyable of all the practices we'll study together. (laughs) Breaking of bread and communion. But make no mistake, breaking bread with other believers isn't simply about passing the mashed potatoes uh, around a a dinner table. It's a holy time of remembrance. Uh, It's a holy time of praise and community made possible by the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus. N.T. Wright, he was a... Uh, he's an author, Christian author. He says this about all this, he says, when Jesus wanted to explain to His disciples what His death was all about, He didn't give them a theory, He gave them a meal, <laughs> shared that. So today as we look at the practice of breaking bread, we also remember it's only possible through Christ that we are here today, only possible. We, he, he built the trail so we could walk the path, and thankfully... He included food as an integral part of the journey as well. But breaking bread or communion is incredibly important, and here's why the early church was stubbornly devoted to breaking bread together. Found in 1 Corinthians chapter eleven, it says, "For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on that night, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and then He had given thanks." He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took this cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So communion is about remembering Jesus. It's about remembering his life remembering His sacrifice on the cross, His body, broken for you and for me, His blood, the marker of a new and final covenant between God and man, His death, we remember that, His resurrection, His promise to return again for His church, we remember that as well. But these are realities for the believer that we simply cannot forget. And because communion implies that this be done with others, it follows that we celebrate and remember Jesus together. And think about it like this. Our communion, our common union, actually, the things that brings believers together all around the world, is Jesus. That's our common union. We talked about it uh, last week when we looked at the practice of fellowship, uh, the koinonia. Our common bond is Jesus. And communion is our divine opportunity to remember Jesus. every time we get together in fellowship. So in communion, there's the power of remembrance. I think we can all agree, as a general rule, humans are pretty forgetful. (laughs) Pretty forgetful. There have been many times I forgot worship practice, team practice on a Thursday, and I would get a text message from Don or, or maybe even Annie saying, Hello, are you there? (laughs) I'm at at home going, oh no! I get out here to the church number of times. I forgot that. And it's in my calendar. I should remember Uh, forgetting my wallet. I've done that a number of times, thinking, oh, I hope I don't get pulled over. Uh, Those things. Humans, though, can be pretty forgetful. And and, and sometimes forgetting what I was going to do when I got up to go do it. (laughs) Then you got to turn around and go sit back down, and when you sit down, all of a sudden it goes, whoop, okay, I remember now. You get up and go, those things. Maybe there was a time you forgot you put your glasses on top of your head and you spent an hour looking around the house for them. (laughs) I don't know if you've done that at all. It's easy to forget things, and we do it often. In order to combat our, our forgetfulness, many of us write notes to ourselves. Our our smartphones might have alarms on them that helps us remember. Maybe, Maybe we have a Google calendar or whatever that reminds us of the events that are coming up that we need to be at, all those things. These devices and tricks help trigger our memories and keep us focused on things that matter to us. In fact, this practice is almost as ancient as humanity itself. If you want, you can turn to the book of Genesis, beginning part of your Bible there, And in this portion of Scripture, I'll read to you Genesis 12. It won't be on the screen. But you can look at the first eight verses, or you can listen as I read it. You'll see how this is just reminders are an ancient practice. In verse 1 of Genesis uh, chapter chapter 12, it says, "'The Lord had said to Abram, "'Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, "'and go to the land I will show you. "'I will make you into a great nation.'" And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Can I just stop there for a moment and think, wow, uh, these days (laughs) with Israel under attack. hmm. Some verses that might need to be remembered by some people. Anyway, verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, "'To your offspring I will give this land.' So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord." And we'll stop there at verse 8. At the conclusion of this passage, you notice Abram built two altars. Two altars remind him. Altars were used in many religions. But for God's people, altars were more than places of sacrifice. For them, altars symbolized communion with God and commemorated uh, notable encounters with Him. Built out of rough stones, uh, altars often remained in place for years as continual reminders of God's protection and promises. But Abram regularly built altars to God for two reasons. One was for prayer and worship, and another one was as reminders of God's promise to bless him, as you heard here in this portion of Scripture. Abram couldn't survive spiritually without regularly renewing his love and loyalty to God. Building altars helped him remember that God was at the center of his life. Now, if you've read through the Old Testament anytime recently, you'll notice that building altars was a pretty normal practice. It happened quite a bit. And many of them are referred to as altars of remembrance. Here's what one biblical commentator says about them. He says, Our altars of of remembrance are a symbol of God's faithfulness in the midst of wilderness, change, and transition. It's important to remember those times of God's faithfulness for our future self when doubt and difficulty arise in new ways. But they are also a reminder to future generations. These are the defining seasons of our life, our life story that need to be remembered and shared with our children and grandchildren as a means to point them to God. We need to make sure we build altars for our kids and their kids to let them know what God has done for us, a reminder of how good God is. And with this in mind, we can see how important it is to remember certain points uh, of our faith. Why, why a practice like communion is so important as we collectively focus our memories on Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And we can see why the early church was so devoted to the practice as well, too. We can also see why it's so important to keep the practice of communion unpolluted by our division and anger and sin as well. So we need to seek reconciliation in, in this practice of communion as well. If we're going to look at the practice of breaking bread together, we need to make sure we look at the good and the bad. And with communion specifically, there's something Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that's worth mentioning in Matthew chapter 5. It's on the screen behind me. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rakah, is, uh, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So the instruction, the instruction here is to be mindful of where you take your anger. In this example, when the altar was still a place to make sacrifices, Jesus says if you're angry at, or at odds with another believer you should go and be reconciled with them before bringing your sacrifice to the altar. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, the Apostle Paul warns us about taking communion in an unworthy manner. All this to say, I think it's important to remember, taking communion is a holy act of worship for those who believe. Here's another way to think about it. During communion, we remember Jesus and all He did on our behalf. When when we come once a month, the first Sunday of the month, that's what we come to do. Be reminded of that. He traded his life for ours so we could be reconciled to God and become co-heirs in the eternal kingdom of God. That's a pretty huge thing Jesus did for us. So it makes sense we should do all we can to be reconciled with others, be at peace with our family and friends and free from sin in our lives as well. We should be willing to forgive others just as God has forgiven us through Christ. Which reminds me of the parable Jesus told about in Matthew chapter 18. It's a moment there where Peter comes to Jesus and he asks asks Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, because that was the requirement. And Jesus answered him, no, no. Not seven times, 70, 77 times. More than just that. Keep on forgiving. And he continues on in Matthew 18, verse 23. I'll read it to you. It's not on the screen, but you can kind of listen or follow along if you'd like. But it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the, settle, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, millions of dollars, was brought to him. He grabbed him and began to choke him. "'Pay back what you owe me,' he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, "'Be patient with me, and I will pay you back.'" Sound familiar? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Now, Jesus is telling this parable to Peter and all those around him listening. And he said, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus ends this parable with this in verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your hearts. Because God has forgiven all our sins, we shouldn't withhold forgiveness from others. And as we realize how completely Christ has forgiven us, it should produce an attitude of forgiveness towards others. When we don't forgive others, we are setting ourselves above Christ's law of love. We have been forgiven much, so we should forgive much in return as well. And so we should deal with our anger and and the sin before participating in communion. We have those things before us. How can we freely experience communion with God? That's difficult to do when you have those things in your way. And, And not because it's some random rule we need to follow, definitely not as a way to exclude people from the communion table, but as believers, we are united in a common bond with Christ. And we should seek unity with others as much as, as we possibly can. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Imagine for a moment, though, an entire church completely devoted to unity, to forgiveness, to charity, generosity with one another. It probably sounds kind of crazy and idealistic. Maybe even pretty much Impossible or difficult, but if I could dream for a moment, I, I imagine this is the kind of community described in Acts chapter 2, verses 44-47, through 47, where it says, "...all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple, temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people." And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." It it takes a lot of effort to be in one accord, as Scripture tells us, and it takes a lot of humility to sell our possessions to help provide for others. But in communion, we focus on what we have in common, our faith in Jesus, and not on what makes us different. There's a lot of things that make us different from one another. It's sitting right next to you, probably, There's a lot of things that make you different, but you're willing to overlook those things because the commonality we have with each other. In, In communion, we set aside our differences. We set aside our anger and our frustration so we can gaze upon Christ together and remember His sacrifice together. It's hard to do that when those things are in the way of anger frustration. In a moment, we will have a a time of communion. But before we do, I want to take what we've heard and and kind of present in a more applicable format by showing that there are three directions, three directions we can look at in communion, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 32. Three directions we can look at in communion, and hopefully we can apply these today as well, too. Verses 23 through 25, Give us the first way to look at communion. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So communion is a time to look backward. Time to look backward and remember. Communion is a time of remembrance of a couple things. First, it's a reminder that God has always been there to deliver His people. He's always been there. Even before the Passover that Jesus was celebrating and about to fulfill, Adam and Eve had to have the blood of an animal spilled on, out to, to provide skins to cover their, their, their sin and shame. Noah and his family were delivered during God's judgment on earth. The Hebrews, of course, were delivered out of bondage and slavery during the first Passover, when God's angel passed over those who had the blood of the Lamb on, on their doorframes. And there have been other times when God delivered His people, all looking forward to the day when Jesus would bring the ultimate deliverance by shedding His blood on the cross for you and me. And that's the second thing to remember God's ultimate deliverance from sin and its penalty. He delivers us. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we no longer have to be slaves to sin. Because of the new covenant of life that He brought, our chains that hold us slaves to sin have been broken. When we share in communion, we proclaim not just His death, but everything is death brought us salvation, cleansing from sin, the breaking of sin's power over us, the promise of eternal life when we die, and the promise of a full life on earth while we live. Communion is a time to look back and remember, and for us to say, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you. Verse 26 tells us another direction we can look. Verse 26 says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this verse tells uh, that communion is a time to look forward and anticipate. Time for us to look forward and and anticipate. The scriptures say that Jesus is coming back someday. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And not just this scripture, but many and even many others, and even Jesus himself said so. He's going to come back to judge everyone. He's coming to establish His kingdom once and for all and to establish the fact that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He's going to celebrate a sweet communion with us as well. Back in Matthew 26, Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When that time comes, we'll be in the presence of God. i got to pause for that one. (laughs) In the presence of God, wow. We will be in the presence of God, away from the trauma, away from the turmoil, away from the troubles. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and what He did three days later, we we face an eternity beyond our imagination in terms of how wonderful and how perfect it will be. Even you perfectionists have no idea how wonderfully perfect it will be. So when we take communion, we look forward to sharing it with Jesus someday. Communion is a time to look forward with anticipation and say, come soon, Lord, (laughs) come soon. And then verses 27 through 32 gives us a last direction with which we should look at in communion. It says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So any guesses on which direction we need to look? Inward. Yes. We need to look inward and we need to contemplate. Look inward and contemplate. Communion is to be celebrated carefully and entered into with spiritual readiness. We can't rush into it without thinking about and reflecting on its meaning. When we rush into it like that, we're we're treating the symbols of Christ's sacrifice irreverently. And while there's nothing particularly special about a little unleavened bread and grape juice, we need to keep in mind that these symbols represent something very real in Jesus' sacrifice. When we don't, we become guilty of, of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus. And That's pretty serious. The very nature of communion calls for introspection. So we're told to examine ourselves. If you haven't accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for salvation, then communion means nothing to you and it just becomes an act or a show. It's just bread and juice, that's all. uh, Coming to the, the communion table in an unworthy manner means to come without a solemn understanding of what is being remembered and without a repentant and humble spirit before the Lord. Communion is serious business. The seriousness of the matter is revealed in Paul's words about those who actually brought God's judgment on themselves, resulting in sickness and even death for some. And this was a disciplinary judgment, not an eternal one, but obviously it it was pretty severe. Now, the idea isn't to have people approach communion freaked out that if they don't do it just right, that God will strike them down. I hope you don't come uh, on the first Sunday of next month and go, oh my, I better, better do this right. It's not how, we, don't, don't become all freaked out about that. But we need to realize the Lord's Supper is not to be taken lightly. This new covenant cost Jesus His life. It's not a meaningless ritual but a sacrament given by Christ to help strengthen believers' faith. Communion is a time to look inward and contemplate and say, cleanse me, Lord, cleanse me. So we come to communion with a few things to think about. And I'm guessing that all of us found something for us to ponder as we get ready to take communion here in just a few minutes. Maybe you've never really thought of communion in any of these ways before, possibly. Or you've never really allowed the occasion to force you to look backward or look forward or inward, at least not in an intentional way. So today, let me, let me just invite you to take one of these ways and focus on that as we move into our communion time, looking backward, looking forward, looking inward. Some of you should look back in gratitude for the sacrifice that we symbolized during this time, intentionally thanking Jesus for the price He paid for your forgiveness to give you a home in heaven. Others of you may want to take communion with a sense of looking forward with anticipation to that day when we will share it with Jesus Himself in the Father's kingdom. And if that's you, I pray that the joy of that thought will linger with you for a long time. (laughs) And still others will need to spend more time looking inward. Asking the Lord to reveal anything in your life that needs to be repented of. Maybe it's something that you knew was sin, but you've tried to convince yourself that's no big deal. It's No big deal at all. It's just a little thing. But you know it's sin and you need to repent of it. It could be that you're holding a grudge against someone and you've allowed it to grow into bitterness. Scripture says we're supposed to get rid of that. Today would be a good day to do just that. Maybe you put yourself and your agenda ahead of Christ and His agenda. You decided that you and your preferences were more important than the peace and unity of the body of Christ. <laughs> In any case, can you be brave enough to pray the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm going to leave those words up for a while for us to be able to focus upon. And if you bring something to mind, confess it as sin and accept his forgiveness for you. Then you can approach the Lord's table in communion in a worthy manner. So, let's be people who take the sacrament of communion seriously. With joy, but with humility, as well as godly sorrow for our sins, which caused Jesus to have to die on our behalf. Let's remember those things as we take this time together in communion. Let me pray. Lord, I I just pray that you'd help us focus our attention on you as we share this, this holy communion with one another. Let us be quick to forgive. Help us, Lord, to be slow to anger. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be devoted to one another through the power of your unfailing love. Help us, Lord, to look back and be thankful. Help us to look forward and anticipate eternity with You. And Lord, I pray that we would look inward and ask for Your cleansing in us. It's Your name we pray. Amen.